What is the future of film? Taking place at BFI Southbank London on 26th of November 2019, the Future of Film Summit is the essential event on the new technologies, strategies and partnerships shaping film's future. From game engine design to brand funding, the event is designed to empower storytellers and film professionals with expert-led sessions, inspirational keynotes and incredible networking across film, media, and brands. So that's Future of Film Summit, 26th of November. Tickets on sale now at futureoffilm.live. That's futureoffilm.live. Coming up in today's Film Disruptors. Let's be honest. The reason we had film festivals was because it was very expensive to ship film cans around the world and you couldn't get all these films into audiences and people couldn't discover them. But we don't need that shit anymore. We have the internet. Hello everyone and welcome to Film Disruptors Season 3. My name is Alex Stoltz and this is the podcast where I share insights and strategies from the trailblazers who are shaping the future of film. And my guest today is Brian Newman. Brian is a vastly experienced independent film professional whose previous roles include CEO of Tribeca. And Brian now runs Subgenre, a production company and consultancy specializing in developing campaigns to connect films with audiences, as well as producing his own projects, Brian is increasingly working with major brands such as Patagonia, REI and Stripe to help them successfully invest in films, which is an incredibly exciting space to be in. You can find out more about Brian and his work at sub-genre.com and here you can also read and subscribe to his excellent blog on film and media which I highly recommend. In this conversation, we talk about how filmmakers can succeed in today's attention economy, where there are so many outlets, but also so much competition and noise. We also really get into the brand funding space, which Brian is at the forefront of, and discover why brands are investing in feature films, feature films, and learn how filmmakers can tap into this emerging source of finance. This interview is part of the BAM Disruptors series, recorded recently at the Bogota Audiovisual Market, or BAM, which takes place there in July. BAM is the essential event for anyone serious about engaging with the Latin American market in film or TV, and this episode would not have been possible without them. You can find out more about BAM at bogotarmarket.com. If you are enjoying the show or just want to find out more, there are a few ways to stay up to date. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow on Spotify or any of your major podcast platforms. You can also sign up for updates at the home of Film Disruptors, which is alexstoltz.com, S-T-O-L-Z. 
Just enter your email to receive all the latest Film Disruptors news and episodes straight to your inbox. And this is also where you can access previous episodes, find out more about our featured guests, and get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. So that just leaves me to say thank you for listening. And now please enjoy this conversation with Brian Newman, recorded at the 2019 Bogota Audiovisual Market. And I start the show by asking Brian about his career to date. So most of my career um, up until about 10 years ago was working at film festivals and film organizations very similar to this one in different places in the U.S., uh, both small and large. So I ran a film festival in Atlanta, Georgia, in the southern part of the United States. Um, It was a nice regional film festival. And then I also, as you mentioned, uh, was CEO at the Tribeca Film Institute in New York, uh, which was very big. Um, And we, in addition to having the film festival in Tribeca, the organization uh, put together grants and support for filmmakers and conversations like this. Um, But most of what what I was trying to do uh, was figure out ways to bring films to a larger audience. And it was always difficult, uh, but it, about the time that I was um, leaving Tribeca around 2008, 2009, um, was the implosion of the economy, but also the explosion of um, opportunities online for um, finding and discovering films. Mm-hmm. And it very quickly became apparent that on the one hand, as I mentioned, it's the best time you can get funding to make a film. But what I think happened is we've figured out, I don't know if you remember, uh, most of the audience looks pretty young, but for the older members of the audience, we used to sit on these stages and debate how digital technology would change production. And everyone debated whether or not we would keep shooting 35 millimeter or switch to digital. And we figured out how digital technology has affected production. And we've figured out now also how it's affected distribution. It's exploded the opportunities. But what I found was we haven't figured out the marketing side and the way to make sure that audiences are discovering the best film and that filmmakers who are spending possibly their life savings and all of their mental energy and their vision making great content, how do they make sure that people see it and that the right people see it at the right time? Mm. So a lot of my career in the last 10 years has been focused on that side of the equation. Mm. And recently it's been with brands, and I'll talk more about that later, but uh, I think everything I've been doing in the last 10 years has been around trying to solve the connection between audiences and filmmakers. Mm. Mm. Yeah, like you say, this, this super abundance, not just in film, but with all, all you know, shows and series and box sets and user-generated content, it's how do, you, how do you cut through that? How can you connect? And, well, and, and, you, and you talk about the attention economy. Yeah. What, what do you, how can, we, how can we thrive in the attention economy? How can we win? It's a great question, and I think we're still figuring it out, and maybe someone here will solve it for us. Um, but I think in the past, a lot of the film business was built around this notion of the auteur, the artist who makes their work and then gives it to someone else to handle all the other aspects. And you have a producer who does the business side, but in the best case scenario, 
you get into the Cannes Film Festival or to um, Tribeca or somewhere and a distributor or broadcaster does all the rest of the work of getting it to an audience. And what I've come to realize is that that still works to some extent, but out, out with a couple of exceptions, there's one or two distributors. One of them is here speaking with you, Neon, mm. is a newer distributor in the US um, that's pretty good with marketing. But most distributors actually suck at marketing. They're really bad at it. Mm. And they don't understand technology. They don't understand social media at all. Um, and it's become more incumbent on the producers and the filmmakers to make sure we're reaching the audience and to know their audience and to be involved in that process. Mm. So, for example, I'm a producer as well as a consultant, and I just shot a film in November in the U.S., a narrative feature film with actors, and we were thinking about our audience strategy before we started shooting the movie. And while we were shooting the movie, we were making sure to capture great images, not just for our press kit anymore and our website, but for Instagram and for all the other social media, and we were capped, and nowadays, a trailer isn't good enough. We have to have other video clips. We have to have 15-second clips that work without audio for Facebook and for Instagram. Mm. So we were shooting all of that material as well and making sure as creatives that we're doing our job to make, even if we do get lucky and sell our film for millions of dollars to the best distributor on the planet, we've got the materials they need to market it properly. Mm. And if we don't get so lucky, or even if we do get lucky, what will probably happen is we'll be involved as entrepreneurs in doing that marketing to make sure we're hitting our audience. Mm. And so I think it's being obsessive about not just the craft anymore, but also the communication with your audience. Mm. Yeah, so it's really, really approaching it uh, yeah, like, a, like a business proposition. And it is. At the end of the day, it's an art, and I realize that and, and I appreciate it and my interest in film is actually avant-garde cinema which is very off the, the beaten path for the commercial world mm -hmm. but the fact of the matter is it's also a business that costs a lot of money to make still and to make well and you want to build a career and you want to build a sustainable career as a whether you're a producer or a filmmaker or cinematographer you want to be able to pay the rent mm -hmm. and you've got to pay the rent while making your art mm -hmm. so I think it's about being entrepreneurial um, in thinking about the audience and marketing, and in a second we'll probably talk about business models as mm -hmm. well and how mm -hmm. to build a sustainable career. Mm -hmm. Have you, are there any, I mean that sounds fantastic on your projects, are there any examples of entrepreneurial filmmakers where you see someone who's done really good practice, but they're tackling this head on and succeeding? Well, I think that the place where you've seen the, the best examples has started in the documentary film community because oftentimes when you make a documentary, <clears throat> excuse me, you're thinking of having an impact on some kind of issue. So it's much easier to think through all of those different components. Mm. Um, but unfortunately, two things. One, I'm not remembering uh, as well as I should a good example. But second, there's not as many of them out there. Mm. Um, I think that's a problem um, that is one of the reasons why you're seeing filmmakers continually at markets and festivals who are saying, I didn't get picked up by Netflix, I didn't get picked up by Neon, what do I do now? And they haven't thought about distribution until yeah. the last minute. Yeah. And so they're stuck figuring it out. 
whereas a smart filmmaker would start earlier and have a lot of opportunities in their back pocket if they had thought through um, alternate ways of getting their film to an audience if they don't sell to a distributor yeah. for the highest yeah. price. Do you think the... Uh, I mean, there's so much to dig into there, sure. but the... Do you think the format of film is problematic in a way? It's, you've just got w one shot. You make a movie, it, as you say, if it doesn't get picked up, it's, it, can be, it can be a problem. Do you think that filmmakers need to diversify and think about other ways that they can get the work out there? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is to never think of your film as just a film anymore and think about it as a project that has multiple components around it, mm. which includes the marketing and the, mm. the audience building and all those things that go into um, making your film successful. So um, you need to think through very early in your project, what am I capable of doing with the money I have and the resources I have, which might be friends, interns, um, people you've met in the industry that can help you mm. promote your film or get it out in other ways mm. and think hypothetically of, of that as being your plan A and plan B is what a distributor or someone else brings to you and their plan B has to be better than your plan A mm. and if you thought through that exercise then you have something to negotiate with too because when a distributor comes to you they might say we want to buy SVOD uh, which is like a Netflix distribution and you might say, well, that's great, but we really want to get our film into schools around the country. Can we carve out that right? And we'll implement that distribution on our own. And if you've thought through that, you can do it on your own. Um, so that's about the film project itself. Mm -hmm. But then secondarily, I think as filmmakers, um, I think there's a few things, there's, there's a lot to dig into, but one is it's becoming increasingly hard to just make a film and then go take it to market and try to sell it. Mm. It's better to start thinking about pitching your projects earlier to potential buyers and approaching them as early in the process as possible. Mm. And the good news is most of those buyers are starting to talk to people earlier as well because they're competing with Netflix to get films and the earlier they can find a good project, the better. Mm. So coming to a market like BAM and starting to network and meet potential distributors as early as possible and talk about potentially um, doing co-productions or pre-sales mm -hmm. or commissions um, is one piece of it. And then I think it's another piece is thinking of your career as a well-rounded individual as having to have multiple components and not being um, stuck up about it and saying, I'm only going to do my film mm. that is an art house film that plays in the Cannes Film Festival, mm. but also think about things like branded content and advertising. Mm. And the truth of the matter is that some of the biggest names in the business, um, recently in America, Steve Golan passed away. He was a very successful producer who started a company called Anonymous Content that had films um, like The Revenant and Spotlight and Academy Award winners. Mm. And he was quoted saying, I would never want to make my living on those movies. Uh, the way he made his living was by having anonymous content also do music videos and advertisements and branded content. And they also had a management division mm -hmm. managing talent. Mm -hmm. And it was only by piecing together all of those revenue streams 
that they could that he as an artist mm -hmm. and as a producer could build a successful career. And I think every filmmaker needs to think like that. You're listening to Film Disruptors, and I'm in conversation with Brian Newman, recorded live at this year's BAM. And you can find out more about BAM at bogotarmarket.com. If you are enjoying the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And I start this section by asking Brian if filmmakers need to think longer term. I think you need to think longer term, but also I think this, this definitely is an American attitude, and I understand that as I say it, but you need to realize um, that you are your own army of one. And there, uh, Mark Duplass, who's a famous filmmaker in the U.S., uh, spoke at South by Southwest a couple of years ago and had a really nice saying. He said, there is no cavalry. No one's coming to help you. You've got to do it yourself. And there's no excuses anymore. As I mentioned, you, everyone has a phone with a camera in their pocket and you can go out and make your movie. And you need to realize that there are not just, is no one gonna help you, you have to help yourself, but also there's gazillions of audiences out there that in spite of this proliferation of content that I showed on the slide, mm. are still hungry for new stories and new ways of storytelling and, and stories from different parts of the world. And they're not being served. And so you need to just knock down all those doors and think about building a sustainable career by being entrepreneurial and making that content and bringing it to the audiences that want it. And your audience is out there, but you have to find them and think about that in everything that you do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, who's your audience and how can you, how can you reach them? Tell me, tell me about the brands stuff that you're working on because this seems to be very related in terms of how, uh, yeah, tackling a lot of these issues. Right. How can you get visibility? How can you get funding? <laughs> That's always nice. Uh, and, and yeah, and how can you uh, build, build something which is more than a single project by project kind of enterprise? Sure, so when I was at Tribeca, we would often work with sponsors who might sponsor a contest for filmmakers or something. But at the, but at the time, that was, the, the gist of it. Um, and about eight years ago, I was approached by a brand in the US called Patagonia, uh, which makes outdoor equipment and jackets that you would wear and camping gear. And they were deciding to make movies. And they asked me to help them with a the film. And I did. And that started this new career for me of working with brands making films. And it's an exploding area where Literally, there's not a brand you can think of in a category of the consumer economy that isn't thinking about making films today. Mm. Kleenex that you blow your nose in, they are making movies. Marriott, the hotel chain, is making movies. Kotex that makes tampons made a series about lesbian vampires called Carmilla, and it was a huge success. Mm. And then they made a movie, and they're making another movie. Um, everywhere you turn, brands are moving into the space. And the reason they're moving into the space is the same explosion in content. No one is watching their commercials. And commercials suck. And they know that. So they're hoping if they can fund better content, people will watch that content and then be happy that that brand funded it and it fits the, the lifestyle image of that brand. 
this isn't about product placement, like me drinking this and, and the shot. It's about financing the movies, but also financing the distribution of the movies. So that's a lot of what my career now is, is I pay the bills by working with brands to help them strategize making content and films and TV series and sometimes podcasts um, and games and virtual reality. Um, and that pays my bills so I can do my uh, artistic um, movie for just under a million dollars that I shot in November. Uh, but I couldn't pay for my staff, much less my house, if I was relying on that independent film. So the brands are a, a new avenue. And I think that's true for filmmakers as well, is when you're looking at the constellation of potential funders, it's no longer just HBO or government funding or um, Arte in France or someone like that. It's also, quite frankly, Coca-Cola and Patagonia and North Face and these other brands. And the good news is it's, well, the bad news is it's still difficult. Uh, it, just like any other thing you do in life, you have to network and get to know people. They're not just standing out there with a bag of money to hand you. Um, but if you start putting your mind to it, you can find these places. And the good news is more and more brands are realizing that their audience represents a diverse spectrum of people and it's usually an international audience, so they're looking for international voices as well. I think the trend started more in the US and Europe, but it's starting to extend to other countries. Mm -hmm. One of my clients is a company called Stripe. Um, Stripe is like PayPal. Um, when you use your phone to buy something, oftentimes the credit card is being processed by Stripe. And we're financing films um, right now in Cuba, in Nigeria, in India, and we're looking for others all around. And each brand has their special niche, so it doesn't always fit your film. And obviously, you might be making a film that's very controversial or very sensitive subject, and you don't want a brand. I'm not saying it's the answer for every film, but it can be part of the solution. And I, I, I'm talking a lot, I'll let you get back to another question, mm. but um, it's good. <laughs> the best thing about it to me with brands is actually not the money, believe it or not. I mean, everyone wants money, but the real power of working with brands is they can then help with marketing and brands understand marketing. And so when I work with a brand on marketing a film, we usually have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars at our disposal to promote each title. And that's on top of the financing for the film. And usually brands already have a built-in audience. So they might have 5 million followers on Facebook. I don't know who follows a brand on Facebook, but they do. And they've got millions of followers on their Instagram accounts and their social media. And when your film comes out, they can spread the word and get butts in seats, which then translates into money when you sell tickets and reach your audience and get money back. So some of the smartest proposals I've seen have been pitching brands and they don't even ask for money. They just ask for marketing support. Mm -hmm. And that can be really smart um, because they can help your film get seen. Mm. Well, I mean, I think you've opened up a whole, a whole new <laughs> uh, opportunity there and, and, and so much to, to, to talk about. I think people may have a lot of preconceptions about brands. And sure. your, your last point there, I think, maybe answered that because uh, I think some people might think the brand is going to really want to get involved in the creative and start messing with your with your vision 
but as you said, sometimes they just want to support the marketing. Is that, have you had experiences where they, brands are going to be interfering with the filmmaker and the storyteller? I think there's definitely brands that want to interfere, and you have to go into it with open eyes and very smartly and ask questions and make sure how much creative control you'll retain. But increasingly, brands are realizing they don't know how to make movies and they don't want to become filmmakers. They're interested in being very picky at the beginning and the types of filmmakers they work with. They want to make sure you know what you're doing and will turn out a good film. And they want to really look at the script or the pitch reel if it's a documentary. But once they decide that they trust you, um, they're giving creative control to the filmmakers and final cut to the filmmakers. Mm. Um, there's definitely exceptions to that rule, but I've been working with brands in the content space now for seven or eight years. And I can honestly say that every brand I've worked with has given filmmakers creative control and final cut. Film festivals are now accepting branded content alongside everything else. There was a film this year called 5B that's a documentary about the AIDS crisis in the beginning years in the United States. And it was funded by Johnson & Johnson. It uh, just played at the Cannes Film Festival in competition with documentaries, so the Cannes Film Festival doesn't mind. A month later, it played at the Cannes Lions Film Festival for advertising and won the Grand Prix of the Cannes Lions. So you're able to be in both worlds. Mm. And I think you just have to be open-minded about it. And I, I can tell you honestly, on the political spectrum, I'm probably this far left of Marx and um, thought I would never work with brands. But what I've realized is if the brand is a, a, a trusted brand in a category that, it, that appeals to the same audiences that your film is going to appeal to, then it can be an amazing resource for helping to reach those audiences and get those films made and seen. Mm. And I think it's worth exploring. And my, my thing I say to most naysayers would be, in the history of arts, we've seen support from the church, from the state, now we're seeing it from corporations, and let's be honest, take the money from where you can get it and make your project, <laughs> because what matters is getting your art made. Mm. So even if you're the most cynical person in the world, think of it that way, because it's an opportunity that exists now that can be taken advantage of. Hmm. How, how would you advise a, a, a filmmaker or a storyteller to approach a brand? Uh, would they go to them with a script and say, you know, I've got this great idea, do you want to, do you want to fund this? What would be the sort of top level advice? Well, the, the advice I would have is to assign this job to your producer so you can focus on your, on your film. <laughs> and attach a smart producer who maybe has also worked on commercials as well, at, or TV in, in particular as well as film, so that they have a business sense of, of how these people think. Um, and you can come to the meetings when you finally get to the pitch as a director, but let a business-minded producer handle it, for one. Secondly, uh, the reason you want to do that is it's a lot of work. Just like coming to BAM and pitching your project to commissioning editors and to co-producers is a lot of work. Finding the brand representatives is a lot of work and, the, and they're getting knocked on their doors left and right as well. So it's, um, it's very difficult, but the, essentially what you do is you research and you figure out 
which brand is targeting the same audience that you're targeting. So you really need to know your potential audience and you really need to look and not just say, oh, um, everyone drinks water, so therefore I'll approach this water company. You really need to think of who is the ideal customer for this brand and does it match my film? Mm -hmm. And if it does, then you can start researching who are the people in charge of marketing or in charge, oftentimes you can, we all have LinkedIn now, we have Google. There's not a person on this planet who you can't Google and find their email address. So what you do is you look and figure out who's in charge of branded content or maybe their title is head of film. And um, you can even cold call them, but in the best case scenario, you would use LinkedIn and your own professional network mm -hmm. to try to find someone who knows someone who's worked with them before mm -hmm. to help open that door because an introduction always goes further than a cold call. Mm -hmm. But I've funded, with, with brands that I've worked with, I've funded at least five movies that came over the email chain, none of us knowing who they were, and it was a good project. And then we said, let's see more, and we interviewed them and ended up funding the project. So it does happen. Mm -hmm. um, you can also, um, you'll start noticing now that a lot of film festivals have a branded content section. So Tribeca has the Tribeca X Awards. Um, during Sundance, there's a side conference called Brand Storytelling. And if you're interested in this, you start to attend those events while attending the regular film festival, and you can start networking with the kinds of producers in this space mm -hmm. that can help open those doors. Mm -hmm. uh, the example you mentioned earlier of Kotex and uh, yeah. the, the, um, the, the show Carmilla, which became a, was a web show and became a series and a, and a graphic novel. It's an amazing story. Anyway, the, uh, the creator of that, a lady called Karen, Karen Whitney Vernon, she's on the podcast. You can check out that episode. But she, she introduced us. She, what's that? I think she introduced She us. did, actually, of course. Uh, well, she has a, a great uh, tip, actually, for thinking about brands. It's a thing called a brand wheel. Uh, and you, if you Google that, brand wheel test, I think, you can find out which brand your story might align with. There's like these archetypes for brands. It's a good, it's a good way to think in a different, in a different, in a brand-centric way. Uh, right. Well, I lost my train of thought there. Going through <laughs> while, while you're while yeah. you're finding it. Yeah. The the important thing is that it's just about broadening the scope of what you think of for support for your film and your career. And even yeah. if you don't automatically get a big brand to fund your magnum opus mm. film that you've been wanting to do your whole life. Even just working in commercials, you start to meet other professionals, you get paid, you start to broaden your network um, of people you can go to to pitch your projects. And then mm. oftentimes those same brands come back to the same people because you're now a known entity with them. So mm. it's much easier mm. once you have that as part of your real or part of your resume. Mm. I think what one of the really interesting things that you're doing is is feature films with brands and feature length documentaries with brands because uh, there's for a while like you say there's been a branded content thing and it's often shorter form and uh episodic but that seems to be a big breakthrough and do you yeah. see do you see more more and more of that yeah it's definitely um everywhere that I go now in these brand conferences, which I only recommend going to if you really want to go into this area, otherwise 
remember, slice this way because it can be really bad. Um, the, the, the thing is every brand wants to end up on Netflix with either a feature-length film or a series. And so they all start, obviously, with short-form content, start to learn how it works. They maybe make a documentary because it seems easier. And documentaries are usually easier to get started. They're definitely just as hard to make a good one. Um, but then as the brands get more comfortable, they start to look at narrative films as well. And um, I've got brands that I'm working with that are funding films at the development stage, funding the script writing and development or the pitch reel for a documentary. And I've also got brands I'm working with that are talking to distributors and we're putting up P&A funds to distribute films. So it's a, the whole spectrum. And um, definitely for at least the next five years, if not longer, it's uh, one of the fastest growing areas and an area that's kind of a, a chance to catch mm -hmm. the tail of that cat mm -hmm. while it's still there mm -hmm. um, because it's, it's happening right now. So it's a good opportunity. Right. And I'm off. I'm going to go and start my, my brand company yeah. now. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and getting my head into the, the brand mentality uh, now, what, what, is, what does success look like for a brand? How do they measure the, the effectiveness of their investment? Well, the interesting thing with brands, um, and I think this actually is, is good for filmmakers to think of too, even if you're not working with brands, but brands aren't just interested in the box office, and they're not even only interested in the number of views. And as we all know, if you get picked up by a Netflix, they don't even tell you how many people view your film. So, um, but, but what matters is uh, what we call earned media, which is an advertising term essentially for all the times people talk about your film or your brand, mm -hmm. Um, in the press and media, on social media. And we actually build a formula um, that puts a monetary value on every time someone mentions the film or the brand, um, or they do an interview with people from the film and mention the brand. And we consider that part of the return on the investment. Um, because if you think about it for a brand, it's instead of advertising, they're getting their brand message out through content. But I, I definitely think it's important for filmmakers to think of that nowadays as well, especially if you're a documentary filmmaker, because it's not, if you make a documentary about say climate change and, and environmental sustainability, your interest is in changing the world as much as it is in making your money back, hopefully. And you wanna have an impact. And if you can show to people that you raised awareness of the issue and people Googling and searching for the search terms goes up and you can show that press article mentions went up, that's as much of a success as people actually going to see your film. And likewise, when you're a filmmaker making a narrative, say avant-garde film, um, even though you may not have a huge box office, if you can show that you had an impact because critics and audiences wrote about it and talked about it, and if you can capture a screen grab of that tweet when someone famous wrote about it and a million people read that tweet, that's something you can use in your future pitches for your next project is to say, look, my last film, you know, maybe our box office was only a million dollars, but this was our reception in the world and why we think the next one will do better.
Mm. So that's something I've learned from brands and the way they evaluate things, and I'm now applying it to my own films. Mm. Are they fully financing the projects? It's a mix. So in the best case scenario, and well, actually it depends. I was going to say the best case scenario, the brand funds the film in its entirety mm. and gives you creative control and final cut and then helps market the film. Um, and, and many brands are doing that. And oftentimes what they want is a logo credit in the beginning of the film. So they're not putting their product in the movie. It's more like when you see the logos at the beginning of the film and you see a production company, you also see the brand. Mm. Um, one of the brands I'm working with now is actually limiting its investment to about 25% of the budget. And at first that may sound like a bad idea, but the reality is it's actually kind of good because you can say, I've got a portion of money from a brand and I can take that to my investors and show that I've lowered my budget by having tax incentives and some brand support. And now my overall budget I need to raise is, is lower. Mm -hmm. But um, the, the bonus is even though we're only getting 25% of our financing, when the movie comes out, that brand's going to put up millions of dollars of support on the marketing, mm -hmm. which is super valuable, but we don't have to count that in our equity return. So that can be very valuable to get a smaller portion of your budget, but still get that economic mm -hmm. support when it comes out. Mm -hmm. So it's different ways of approaching every project. And as a filmmaker, you also have to approach it, you know, you may have a project you accept where the brand has more control and you know it's something that's a learning experience and it helps pay the bills, but it's not something you're going to put on your portfolio. Or you may get lucky and have a film where it's a mixture of both, where you have brand support and it's artistically interesting. Mm. And how does it work in, when it comes to your box office and your income and your revenue? Uh, does that flow back to the brands? Is that part of a deal typically? Again, it's, it's different with every brand, but the, um, the reality is most brands don't really care about making back money. And in fact, they don't even have a way to tell their accountant how to book that revenue in their books. Um, it's not something they've ever done before. They do marketing and then they sell product. So they don't even have a, what they, you know, the, the code that would put it in their computer. Um, so even if they structure it as equity investment, it's usually, to be honest, they don't want to look stupid if your movie made $100 million and they could have made some money, but they don't really expect to make money back. Mm. So oftentimes it's more about the brand, what we call brand equity, which is making sure their logo is on the poster and is in the materials. And just like you, they don't want their logo too big either because that'll turn off the audience. Mm. Um, they just want to be like other production companies and be recognized for the support they gave. Because what they're really hoping is that audiences will, quite frankly, say, wow, they funded that movie, that's so cool. Now I feel better when I buy their product. <laughs> that's what they want. Mm. But if they do ask for equity in the film, I wouldn't worry about it too much. You can have your lawyer negotiate, and usually they're fine having your other investors make their money back first. Mm. It's more just a kind of safety thing. Mm. Um, but it's usually marketing money that they don't expect to get back. Mm. Brian has uh, an excellent blog if anyone has hasn't seen it it's sub subgenre is the if you google subgenre you can yep. you can subscribe it's fan fantastic and i don't know how he managed just to 
so regularly come out with such interesting and, and, and thorough uh, blog posts. Uh, so I highly recommend it. But one of the things which struck me recently reading it was he said a lot of all these brands want to produce content, but none of them are thinking about curating right. content and thinking about this idea of a super abundance of so much stuff, no one can find what they want, discover. Uh, did you have any thoughts on, on that, how that might work? And, yeah, uh, I mean, I think that it's something that um, is going to start happening more and more. You know, as you go home at night and you want to start watching something entertaining or enlightening, and if you're like me, it can sometimes take 30 minutes of clicking around just to even find the, the show you want to watch. And so increasingly people are looking to, to find a curator to help them find the best stuff to watch. And I think um, not every brand is a trusted brand. And, and I don't know the brands in Bogota well enough to, to, to speak intelligently to it. But in America, um, there are certain brands that people actually trust. So Patagonia is thought of as a very environmentally conscious brand and their recommendation of good films in the documentary space is something people would listen to and value. And I think they can help send more audiences to, to more things. And I think it would be great if they start doing more of that. I also think that um, film festivals and film organizations um, do a terrible job um, when it's not during the time of the festival. They do a great job during the festival of bringing you the best films and telling you to go see these great movies. But then the rest of the year, mm. if they email you, it's about buying a pass. Um, mm. And what I would love to do is if I'm a subscriber to the Toronto Film Festival, mm. I'd like to get recommendations of what their programmers mm. think throughout the year. Mm. And likewise, if I like a filmmaker, I would like to be able to look and find out what that filmmaker likes, um, not just in movies, but also in music and you know, when I come to Bogota, it would be, I don't think this exists, but if I could open up an app mm. and figure out what um, Olivia Sayas likes as the best restaurant in Bogota, I would go to it. Mm. If I knew what David Lynch thought was the coolest art exhibit in Bogota, I would go to it. And so I think if we can start building systems for artists mm. to push people to other artists, mm. that would be a great next mm. step too. You're listening to Film Disruptors, and I'm in conversation with producer and consultant Brian Newman. To receive new episodes of the show straight away, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or sign up at alexstoltz.com. In this section, I ask Brian his advice for filmmakers in today's landscape. I think that... If you think of the way the world works today, it's what everyone calls participatory culture. And the idea is it's no longer a one-way street and a one-way communication. It's about more interactivity. And I think audiences and consumers want to have a conversation. And it's not easy to open yourself up as an artist beyond making your film. Mm. But if you do and you become more vocal on social media, and you put yourself out there curating projects and promoting other people's projects, you become an artistic voice that people trust and people want to support you. And there's this notion that someone else more famous than me 
wrote one time about all you really need is 1,000 true fans. And if you have 1,000 true fans, they'll tell all their friends, and that becomes millions of people who will watch your, your art. Mm -hmm. And I think it's about thinking now when you make your films. You know, I used to run um, film festivals, and we would ask filmmakers to send us a still for their film, and we could never get good stills. And people always go and shoot their movie and think they can do a frame grab. And the reality is now, when you go to Netflix, they don't even use your poster anymore. They use stills from your film, and they use on-set photography to promote your film. And when I go onto social media, I'm looking for clips and outtakes and bloopers and everything else from your film, and you've got to be capturing all that material, and you have to be thinking about it as an ongoing conversation with your audience. And it's not just about that one movie, but about your entire career. Mm. So you have to be making sure that even if the film has its own Twitter account or Facebook page, that you as an actor or a director or a producer have your own presence as well so that you're accruing that audience at the same time so you can reactivate them on your next project and your next project. Mm. And I think it's just a subtle mind shift to saying, okay, it's not just about me making my film and throwing it up on the screen. It's also about an ongoing dialogue and having a conversation that can be for the better of my career in the long run because I can reactivate those audiences again and again. If you think about it, every year when Hollywood makes a new Avengers movie, they spend hundreds of millions of dollars because they never bothered to get your email address. So they don't even know where the hell you are if you like the Avengers. So they have to take out advertisements everywhere and find you again each time the movie comes out. Well, as filmmakers, most of us here, I don't think can afford making the Avengers. We can use all the help we can get. And so if we can build our own email lists and our social media lists, those are all audiences we can use for the next film and keep growing that and eventually use them, whether it's crowdfunding or just telling them the tickets are for sale nearby letting them know that helps build your audience. Brilliant. I think the, the, the thousand true fans model is a really interesting one to look at. Again, if you can just find that easily by searching thousand true fans, and it's a, it's a very interesting model for artists and anyone, the storytellers. Uh, we have a short time for questions from the audience. Would anyone like to ask Brian a question? Because if not, I have lots more to ask him. I'm not sure we do. We covered everything. Yeah. No one has much. Okay, that's good. Uh, so uh, we're not going to end on this because this will be a bit of a downer. But what, uh, what would you say? What are the, the most typical mistake you would you see with uh, made by an independent filmmaker or, or a, 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 an independent well, producer? The most typical mistake that I've seen is actually nothing to do with our conversation. It's mm. starting to shoot before the script is ready. Mm. And so, you know, just a side note is the script matters. Okay. Don't shoot a frame until you get the script perfect. Uh, but this, and, and if you can workshop it with your actors before, even better. Um, but the second biggest mistake I think uh, that I see filmmakers make is not thinking about their distribution until they're done making the movie. Mm. And what I do with all of my brand clients is we start building our marketing campaign and our audience development campaign before we shoot a frame of the film. We already know exactly what we're going to do. And as a filmmaker, you need to think about that. Even if you're not going to be the distributor and have no desire, 
you know, you want to take your film and sell it to HBO or to Arte or whoever, um, you need to be thinking through what are the things I'm going to need to give them to promote to an audience. Mm -hmm. So it's just about, you know, starting earlier in thinking about how your film is going to be seen, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's a short series, doc, or narrative. There's a lot of things you can do by thinking early. You can think of partners who might help promote the film when it comes out. You might approach a brand, and maybe they don't fund your film, but they're willing to promote it to their customers when it comes out because they find it interesting. Or maybe it's an NGO or a nonprofit that will help support your project. All those kind of things, if you haven't thought about them at the beginning, you're going to be too busy at the end to even know what to do. <laughs> and those are all things that help when you're selling your film because if a distributor or a broadcaster knows you've built an audience, they're not going to be upset, trust me. They're going to be very happy that they know you've already built 100,000 followers that they can activate to coming to your movie. They want you to coordinate it with them and not jump the gun on their marketing campaign, but they'll all be more than happy that you help support what they're doing. You were saying, like, the new filmmakers or the experienced uh, film filmmakers have to be like like uh, um, a jack of all trades, yeah. uh, the, the entrepreneur, and go searching for audience. But uh, here in Colombia or in all the BAM, the people is saying like uh, you need to specialize in one area. Like you need to be a DP or or a director or producer and be the best at it. But um, that is. Like, uh, I think it's very different coming from the U.S. Or, or thinking about cinema or content here in Colombia. So my question is, what is the best way to break through uh, all these barriers and all these right. steps? Well, first off, I would say I do agree that you should specialize and become the best at whatever part of the craft you've decided to pursue. So I think if you're... A cinematographer, you should make sure you're the best at what you do, or a director. And, and, and oftentimes, a lot of the things I said about building your audience, you may not be very good at. So just like you build a team to make a movie, you need to build a team for thinking about promoting your movie and marketing your movie. So it's just about thinking through, find someone who can be part of your team who might be more entrepreneurial, jack-of-all-trades, that can help you get your vision to an audience, if, that, if that's not you. Um, definitely, there's different ways to go about it. The, but the second thing I would say is, um, and it probably won't be very popular with film festivals and organizers, but let's be honest, the reason we had film festivals was because it was very expensive to ship film cans around the world and you couldn't get all these films into audiences and people couldn't discover them. But we don't need that shit anymore. We have the internet. <laughs> and we're still using this old system when we don't need it. And the reality is, if you're an up-and-coming filmmaker today and you're spending time banging your head against the wall trying to get the industry to pay attention to you, it would be better for you to take one-tenth of the budget you were going to spend on that project and make a short film and get it out there online, get it on Vimeo, get it on YouTube, and share it with others and start to build your audience with other Colombians that, are, that have moved to the U.S. or moved to Europe or moved to Africa and start to build your audience yourself. So that then, as you start to build your audience, people will want to work with you because you've got thousands and thousands, if not millions, of fans. And what I think is a, a, is a crime is everyone keeps perpetuating this old system 
that's antiquated and, it, and a, it's a way of doing business that does work for certain types of films. But then it perpetuates this myth that we all have to follow in the same footsteps. And I think that's what Mark Duplass was saying was, don't wait for that cavalry to help you, build it yourself. And so I met with a lot of filmmakers today who were hoping that you know, this fund or this festival would give them money to make their vision. And what I always wanted to say, and I did with some, was cut your budget in half, find friends and family who would give you the money to make it and get it out there, and start building your career yourself because the audience is out there, and get your vision seen instead of trying to get a festival to accept it, and 200 people can fit in this theater and see it, whereas millions can see it online. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean you won't eventually make a movie that ends up in this theater or the cinema tech and won't go through a traditional process. But I think waiting around for that to happen the traditional way is stupid and, and we should be building our own new system. So that was my conversation with Brian Newman recorded live at this year's BAM. If you want to find out more about Brian or any of the guests on the show, listen to other episodes or get in touch, you can do all of this at alexstoltz.com. So that's it for this episode. I'd just like to say thank you again for listening and look forward to seeing you again soon. What is the future of film? Taking place at BFI Southbank London on 26th of November 2019, the Future of Film Summit is the essential event on the new technologies, strategies and partnerships shaping film's future. From game engine design to brand funding, the event is designed to empower storytellers and film professionals with expert-led sessions, inspirational keynotes and incredible networking across film, media, and brands. So that's Future of Film Summit, 26th of November. Tickets on sale now at futureoffilm.live. That's futureoffilm.live. <laughs>